By the way, before we begin and talk about your documentary, Praying for Armageddon, uh, we've seemed to be experiencing kind of like a, a Norwegian renaissance. Like we have TV shows like Lilyhammer, Ragnarok, uh, Wisting with Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, Norway shows up in James Bond, No Time to Die, two Mission Impossible movies, uh, Black Widow, a Marvel movie. Like over here, it seems like Norway is flourishing, and at least culturally. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it all makes sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. this is uh, this is a great place. When you have a functional, uh, you know, democracy, uh, creativity flourishes as well, right? Well, that's the key there, right? A functional democracy. <laughs> so uh, if you're ready, that's a good way, I guess, to kind of segue into your documentary, Praying for Armageddon. Perfect. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy. I'm more left-handed than left behind. <laughs> you name. In my conversation with Tanya Hashensei, she uses words like terrifying and sinister and dangerous and other dark adjectives to describe the reach and the influence, the insidious influence of religious fundamentalists who've accepted their responsibility to act as God's will and bring about the destruction of of the earth. This is a literal interpretation of the Bible, especially the end times. While all this sounds scary for most of us, the chosen ones bypass death and go right to heaven. Death and destruction as hope is a unique perspective. You you generally don't get invited to a lot of parties pushing for the end of life as we know it. That is unless you count January 6 attacking the Capitol building as a party. All these themes and experiences are explored in Praying for Armageddon, which made its North American premiere at Hot Docs, a fantastic documentary film festival here in Toronto. Praying for Armageddon isn't an anti-religious doc or even an anti-Christian doc. It asks the hard question, what's the cost of allowing these corrosive end-time beliefs to influence our politics, destabilize our democracy, and impact global stability, especially in the Middle East? How do you square a belief in Jesus with these strict end-time tenants? Can we do a better job of ignoring the serpent, or do we succumb just like Eve, all seduced by signs and wonders? I recommend checking out Praying for Armageddon, but you know it'll anger up your blood. Here's my conversation with the director of Praying for Armageddon, Tanya Hashensei. Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. I do want to welcome you back to Hot Docs. It's a good thing you finished your documentary before the apocalypse. So was it hard to make a documentary during the end times? Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, we we, uh, started a production of uh, Praying for Armageddon uh, eight years ago. So that was before uh, Trump and Pence and and COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, to be be honest, it definitely, uh, a couple of times during the production, it it did feel like the end was was near. (laughs) (laughs) I could imagine, yeah. I think in the last few years, Americans have witnessed a battle between like, pro-life, pro-choice, lobbying, uh, guns have a very sinister lobby. 
your documentary, as you said, Praying for Armageddon, like focuses on an end times Armageddon lobby. That's very, that's super weird, isn't it? Well, it's it was, you know, as we became aware of the reach and the influence of religious fundamentalists that that really see it as their responsibility to act at God's will. And they interpret the Bible literally, believing that those who bless Israel shall be blessed. Mm-hmm. To see the extent uh, where, you know, they, they literally believe in the biblical prophecy of Armageddon and, and actually see it as their responsibility to kind of push for the destruction of our civilization. That's crazy enough in itself. But then when you realize that they have a, an immense power from the grassroots through megachurch empires, all the way up to you know high-level politicians in D.C., uh, it became uh, quite terrifying, uh, in fact. And and not only that, but it for me like this issue is about so much more than uh, you know the the U.S. or Israel and Palestine. It's really a worldwide movement that uh, is sort of believing in in this literal interpretation of of the biblical prophecy. So. Uh, it in fact kind of affects uh, all of us on a global scale. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of references uh, in the interviews and even the sermons and passages you show throughout the documentary where there's like, wake up, there's war. Jesus asks us to fight, be a warrior, claim victory. Like, as you said, you found a lot of this terrifying. But when you're in these moments and you're shooting these uh, scenes and people are preaching these kind of uh, using these type of words, did you feel threatened or like, is the vibe scary? It seems like people themselves are like are praising and having a good time. They don't seem like it's scary. Well, I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that was very important for us was also just to, to tell the human stories of, of faith and uh, compassion where, where people really believe that they are, are the chosen ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely kind of chilling when you hear sort of how uh, they use language uh, also in their preparation to holy war, uh, because language matters and, and uh, what we say uh, matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it is an important, you know, part of their strategy too, in, in how to sort of bring the, the masses on and, and recruit let's say more more people into their their uh, army mm-hmm. which is you know terminology that they use yeah <laughs> the one guy was uh surreal he said jesus is not coming back with a sword he's coming back with an ar-15 yes yes that's where we're at yeah i know that's kind of uh, over the top but this Rapture or left behind ideology, I guess, is all consuming in terms of the American evangelical circles. But did you also get to see examples or even moments of of grace and love? Grace and love and even forgiveness are also core tenets of the the Christian belief, right? It's not just that Jesus is coming back with an AR-15. It's grace and love. So did you get to see those examples as well? Or is it just kind of like all consuming? No, absolutely. And I just want to say that in, in no way am I against religion. And the film is also not like anti-religion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I do think that uh, in the film, especially through Gary Bird, you know, the, the minister for um, 
M25, uh, we get really close to Gary and we see how much love he has in his heart and how much he cares about, you know, um, his congregation. Um, and also, I mean, there's something, you know, that is in us as humans where we are kind of longing to belong mm -hmm. uh, in a group where we feel like we are the chosen ones, where we feel like we have the answer. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a natural uh, <laughs> trait that we have as humans. Mm -hmm. For me, the, the problem comes more when, when this need for uh, salvation is being abused uh, by megachurch empires, or then also, you know, it, it usually feeds and fuels political power. Uh, and that's when things become uh, problematic. And that's that's what we we have to be aware of. Let's unpack that a little bit, because you're talking about like, yes, I get the loneliness part, right? People do want to fit in. And America is a very big country, right? It's almost like 400 million people, right? So to try and fit in and to belong and to connect with people is a core human need. But at the same time, as you said, there is like this kind of like grab from some of the evangelical uh, people in power to like have a like a political power grab. So is this about like politics and power and even maybe wealth or is this just trying to like uh, serve the people who are lonely and looking for a place to belong? Well, I think maybe it's a little bit of uh, of all of that. Right. Uh, what we see in the States now is that uh, a huge backbone of the Republican Party, you know, is is basically I mean, they have they have such a, a big base of fundamentalist evangelicals or Christian nationalists that that becomes kind of problematic, especially when these um, these groups also influence everything from how U.S. democracy is run but also then U.S. foreign policy, mm -hmm. especially when you, when you become aware that they literally believe in the Armageddon prophecy that is supposed to take place in Israel. So, so in a way, like what we show in the film is that this belief system, uh, you know, also then uh, sets the course in the Middle East with the support of Israel, where they're very often financing illegal settlement organizations and and very um right-wing uh settlement organizations that are you know um expelling palestinians from their uh homes and and kind of feeding the spiral of of violence that we that we see in israel and palestine and then it becomes very very problematic and dangerous in fact yeah a uh, prime example of what you're talking about is like the election of donald trump because that, that arm and that kind of machinery, the evangelical machinery, was used to kind of propel and elect Donald Trump, who then, in response, uh, moved the embassy to Jerusalem, which to them was a major prophecy. Yes. Well, a, a lot of uh, the uh, the fundamentalist evangelicals that, that we see in the film, they really believe that Trump was lifted up as God, as president. Uh, and they, they also were very instrumental in pushing Donald Trump and Pence to move the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, which, you know, uh, for Palestinians, it's basically seen as an act of war. Mm -hmm. So it really uh, started uh, a very, very violent and deadly, uh, you know, 
uh, cycle of uh, of attacks uh, in both, you know, from both uh, parties uh, in Israel and Palestine. But so so many people died, especially in Gaza, because of this. But again, this is all justified because this is like bringing the end of the world. This is the return of Christ. Right. So as you we kind of talked about with like if you're one of the good guys, you're one of the guys who are in the group, you get to go directly to heaven. You get to bypass death like the way you bypass go in Monopoly and you get to go to heaven. So to them, this is the ends almost justify the means. Yes. If, if you believe that uh, you will be one of the chosen ones to to uh, go into um, heaven and live eternally with uh, with uh, Jesus then you know that that is very powerful as we see uh but you know then we have to ask ourselves uh you know at what cost are we allowing them to influence our politics and our democracy and global stability with this belief Mm -hmm. and it's not just global uh instability as well it can be local as well because there was quite a bit of homophobic rhetoric as well to them, again, one of the major signs of like the end times or things are getting worse, which in their views, things are getting better, is the moral collapse of America and especially uh, gays, homosexuals, all those kind of things. Yes, uh, it's it's quite astounding, actually. But, you know, pretty much anything that happened is interpreted as signs of, of God's punishment for for you know our sins and they see you know abortions and and um, the lgbt movement as one of the the biggest sort of giants that they are facing that's that's causing everything from you know uh 9 11 mm-hmm. covid you name it it's um it's very important to have somebody to to put the blame on but if you start to break that down uh and you think about you know also like you know, if you believe in Jesus and Christian values, it, it's very, very uh, hard to to wrap at least my brain around how they can justify, uh, you know, the causes that they are fighting for. Yeah. And part of the, uh, I guess, beliefs are being fueled by one of the guys in your documentary, Ralph Drollinger. Drollinger, is that how you pronounce it? Can you yeah? Can you explain a little bit of who he is? Because he was a central figure. I didn't know who he was until I saw the documentary. He's a pretty scary, dude. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is uh, definitely um, a very important man in in Washington D.C. Um, Ralph Drollinger started Capital Ministries, where he basically offers Bible studies for politicians. So he advises, uh, and, and, you know, it's important to, to realize that Ralph Joll, sorry. See, I, I messed it up too. <laughs> um, no, my, now see, I'm like got tongue twisted. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to drink some water and then we'll start again. All right. Yeah. So, so in the film, uh, we get to meet Ralph Drollinger. Mm-hmm. He is a very influential and powerful man in Washington, D.C. Uh, Ralph Drollinger started Capital Ministries, where he basically offers Bible study groups for politicians. Um, he has opinions that you usually find in very dark corners of the internet, uh, but he basically is sort of 
preparing for Antichrist to come over and reign the world. And he, uh, his purpose is to give politicians biblical justifications for their policies um, and, uh, and to see how powerful he's gotten and how he's uh, actually under Trump was advising uh, the Secretary of State and, and was you know, running in the very, very high, high circles of the political system in DC. And to see the, the architecture and the structure behind the evangelical fundamentalist push for the Armageddon prophecy on this level was, was uh, quite terrifying. Um, and something that I think is extremely important that people are aware of who's sort of behind in the dark back rooms in Washington, DC, influencing policy that, that affect not only democracy in the States, but, but also uh, our global situation. President Trump's an interesting example because he doesn't necessarily seem like a fundamentalist Christian. He just seems like an opportunist, right? And he would take advantage of any opportunity that gives him extra power or uh, makes him look good or whatever it may be. Why do a lot of the politicians, in terms of this architecture uh, like you're talking about, why do a lot of politicians heed these kind of like Christian values if they don't necessarily kind of agree with them? Like, why do they go down this road and follow this as like a policy? Uh, well, I do think that Trump and, and a lot of uh, the, the politicians in the Republican Party know that they need the evangelical voter base uh, in order to, to get in power. So John Hagee, who um, we, we cover extensively in the film, he is the, the leader of CUFI, which is the most powerful evangelical uh, organization in the States and the most powerful pro-Israel organization in the, state, in the States with uh, 11 million members today. And John Hagee, you know, he basically is seen as the kingmaker of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. So, so People that want to become, uh, you know, or run for, for president need to have sort of the blessings of, of uh, John Hagee and, and people like John Hagee. So um, they, you know, and that's, that's also uh, something that we have to take seriously. How do we also in the evangelical community create a bigger awareness of the fundamentalist forces that are sort of daring uh, you know, their Christianity or, or their faith in, in um, maybe a way that they also do not agree with. Because most people, I think, do love this world uh, mm -hmm. and want for, you know, uh, a more peaceful situation. Most people support democracies. Uh, and I think that a lot of them are not aware of the extent to uh, or how far uh, people like John Hagee uh, is pushing things. Yeah, and that's why it's also interesting, too. Your documentary has an outspoken critic, Frank Schaefer. Do you want to explain a little bit of who he is and how he kind of became uh, like a critic of all these kind of policies and these kind of machinery? Yes, so Frank Schaefer uh, is a former evangelical uh, pastor. He is the son of Francis Schaeffer, who was seen as uh, one of the founders of the, the religious right movement in the States, definitely the founder of the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. 
So when Frank was was young, he was kind of seen as the the prince of the evangelicals. Uh, he was flown around the states in private jets and did uh, speeches for you know twenty thirty thousand people. Uh, he uh, met with politicians in the White House. Uh, so he was he was kind of groomed uh, to be one of the evangelical leaders. And then he's also um, an author and an artist. And he wrote a book that in his mind wasn't even very uh, critical of, of the evangelicals, but they were very skeptical to his, uh, his writing. And then he had like this sort of slow upwaking or, you know, like he says, you know, born again, uh, but with a different sort of take on reality and also seeing through some of these um, ways that the evangelicals were running things that made him question his, his faith. So when he started speaking out about the evangelicals and, and how they were you know, operating, uh, he basically uh, received a lot of uh, death threats. He constantly still to this day receives a lot of, of threats. And he is, he is a very important voice because what, what Frank really talks to is the violent trends that you have in the evangelical movement where people are you know, willing to, for example, storm the Capitol uh, to make sure that the biblical prophecy is still being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, getting to know Frank and, and, and listening to, uh, to his stories of how it was to grow up with the Armageddon prophecy kind of running his household was was very chilling. So so as a child, you know, when he would come home and, and he would be like, hey, mama, papa. And if the house was was quiet, he all of a sudden, you know, was like, oh, my God, like I wasn't I didn't have Jesus enough in my heart and I was left behind. Oh, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. So he was constantly looking for signs like when he was flushing the toilet, he would check if there was blood in the toilet because mm -hmm. that was another sign so and he remembers uh in 1949 uh, you know, when when uh, his parents were sort of celebrating the state of israel being created uh and he remembers that that was his parents kind of saw that as as sort of the first real sign of our times that that jesus was coming back so for Frank now to, to also kind of share his insight about the, the inner workings of the evangelical fundamentalist movement, uh, I think was you know, very important for, uh, for us while we were making the film. Um, and uh, he is an important voice for sure when it, when it comes to you know, what to be aware of and, and also, also for the evangelicals to kind of listen mm -hmm. uh, to what he, what he has to say. Yeah, this is a lot about of uh, interpretation of the signs and wonders, right? As you said, a lot of them view Israel as like the central prophecy. And what Frank is saying is like, look at these other things as well. Collectively, look at these other signs. So it's a little bit of heresy, but at the same time, what he's actually pointing out has actual legitimate value. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um you know, whistleblowers do play a, a crucial uh, role in our society as far as um, 
telling truth to to the powers and and also taking us on the inside of a very sort of closed uh, movement that uh, is uh, invaluable. This idea of a closed. I also just I just want to also point out that mm-hmm. uh, it's it's important when you when you talk about you know the evangelical support of Israel is that in 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 their belief system they are supporting Israel for their own benefit so that they also will be blessed in the final battle mm-hmm. and They're in a the way good guys. they are the good guys so you know their support of Israel is really apocalyptic in the way that they don't really care what happens to the the people of Israel or Palestine because mm-hmm. uh, everybody that does not have Jesus enough in their heart will basically burn. Right. So, so in a way, I mean, that's also very, you know, it's a, it's a very um, interesting, but also uh, important factor to take into consideration here. Um, I mean, I think that, I don't know if you want to go into that or not. It's, it's kind of um, uh, opening a different bag. What, what is it you're trying to say exactly? Like, well, I think that, you know, um, especially in the States, it's very, very hard to even say the word Israel because you're immediately just sort of put into this box of being anti-Semitic. Yeah. What's what's important for us with this film is not, we're not against Israel. This is not an anti-Israel film, but we are showing how right-wing forces are being supported by fundamentalist evangelicals in the States, in Israel. That's also increasing, you know, the cycles of violence there. And for for most Israelis, uh, you know, they are very, very questionable about the the massive support they get from the fundamentalist evangelicals. But there, you know, it's uh, it's also there in Israel is a very, very huge gap between politicians and and the main population Mm -hmm. like you have in the States. So uh and it's it's also just seeing all the 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 political um crisis that's going on in israel right now also you know speaks to this fact yeah so revealing some of these things in the documentary praying for armageddon does this kind of parallel some of your previous work like drone for example was about the secret drone program that the cia was running like is that your interest as a filmmaker, as a documentary filmmaker, kind of revealing some of these hidden machinery and things that are kind of operating in the shadows that do have an impact on our visible world? Yeah, most most of my work uh, looks at systems of power that, that shape the world that we live in. I also consider myself to be a half American. Uh, I've lived in the States for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm married to an American. And uh, the family also that I married into is sort of half uh, fundamentalist evangelical and half American Jewish. So, so this issue That's a, has makes been... a lot of interesting dinner conversations. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But this issue has sort of been kind of prevalent uh, in in for me in most of my uh, adult life. And um, I also think that American politics uh, and U.S. foreign policy, you know, has a severe impact on the rest of the world. So, um, yes, that's uh, uh, that's uh, most of my films deal with with, uh, you know, 
be it uh, the CIA uh, drone warfare or artificial intelligence and the power of the tech uh, companies. Mm-hmm. As we wrap up, driving all of this is the idea of hope. The apocalypse is coming, Jesus is coming, all these things. It, what's driving it ultimately is hope. But as you said, it's making a lot of mess in terms of Israel, in terms of human rights violations, people are being displaced, people are being hurt, people are being killed. Is there hope the other way as well, that we can somehow correct this or fix this, or is this machinery too too large or too intimidating at this point? You know, I I believe in uh, in us humans, uh, and and for me, uh, there is a lot of hope in creating awareness about what's going on in the world, uh, so that people uh, know about it. Because uh, when we know about it, we also uh, know that we can do something about it. And I also think that you know, as as citizens in democracies. Mm-hmm even if they're not really functioning, we do have a lot of power. And I think it's important then to, to be aware of what is going on. Also, uh, that there is sort of an Armageddon lobby in the States um, that is pushing for the end of our civilization. I think it's, it's a, a little known fact, it's not talked about enough. And I think that creating awareness of that and creating a debate also within the religious communities is extremely important at this point. Yeah, because Jesus always said, like, ask questions. The Jesus in the Bible, he was never intimidated by difficult questions, right? People were always asking him hard things. And this seems to be almost, again, another element that's almost um, anti-Christian in the sense where, like, there was a number of times throughout the documentary where people try to ask questions and it would get shut down. One guy at one point, one of the ushers, was like, if you ask any questions, whatever, I'll report you to the FBI. Like, it was a very harsh response to, like, just being curious. And so I think that's why this documentary is kind of important, because it restores a little bit of what Jesus was about in terms of, like, asking questions. Be willing to be curious. Be willing to, like, maybe hold things not as tightly in terms of your beliefs and being a little bit loose with them, but also being having the courage to ask good questions. Yes, indeed. I couldn't agree more. There we go. Thank you so much for hanging out. Are we going to see you at Hot Docs? Will you be hanging out uh, in Toronto for Hot Docs, or this is? Yes, absolutely. We're uh, this is our North American premiere, and we're uh, we're uh, super excited to to bring this film out out in uh, in North America. Done. Thank you so much for like hanging out. Uh, well done on the documentary. It is a hard topic. There was uh, a lot of hard scenes to kind of watch when you kind of show, especially the stuff that's happening in Israel and some of the displacement and things like that. But it's uh, well done to you and the team. High five to everybody. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, lovely to talk with you. Yo, that was director Tanya Hashenshe. I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Layer. I touched upon this at the end of this conversation. I appreciate the work Tanya and her crew did in crafting Praying for Armageddon. It's a difficult topic because many of the conversations we have now, unfortunately, they nuance. There's a legitimate concern when the topic is Israel that racist rhetoric will be reinforced. But... There's just no value in blindly reacting to the word Israel. Like, we must treasure listening. Not hearing, but listening. 
to what an individual or documentary is saying. As Tanya correctly pointed out, it's human to want to belong, and if we can belong to the chosen people, then that's the tribe you sign up for, right? But at what cost? That's This is where things break down for me. I can't join or participate in any group that fundamentally believes the end times justifies the means. The book of Revelations is at the end of the Bible, which means skipping all the Gospels and Paul's letters to get to it. Yeah, see, I'm not comfortable with all that. Or you could say, I'm not enraptured with the cause. Oh man, I should put in some like uh, rimshot here or something. This all makes me uncomfortable. It's like sleeping in an unmade bed. So, I don't know. Thank you for spending your end times with me and my summer layer. I know the apocalypse is coming, but before it hits, how about a handy dandy newsletter? A companion to this podcast, the My Pal Sammy newsletter expands the conversation in many of these episodes, offers distinct recommendations like this doc, and it's fun. I mean, if the end of the world is faded soon, we may as well have some fun. Subscribe today, mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. This PSA is easy to interpret, and it's a sign you should subscribe to the My Pal Sammy for wonderful wonder. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Armageddon, yo.